On the Virtual Bible Study tonight, we want to talk about how we should treat people who aren't living right, people who are living in error, living in sin. And we're going to use some comments by the Roman Catholic Pope to jumpstart our discussion tonight. You won't want to miss it. Stick with us on the Virtual Bible Study. We'll be back right after this. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 381-4567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And this is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday night, February the 3rd, 2022. My name is Greg Gwynn. And my good friend Josh McCord is in with us tonight. Josh, welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for having me. And our man Kyle is behind the control board. Kyle, thanks for being here to help us out on the on the on all the technical business. Yeah, it's good to be here. Glad to have you here. We got some uh, wintry type weather in our area, but thankfully it hasn't really impacted us, and uh, we're able to get here and get the virtual Bible study on the air. I know that probably some of the folks who are listening to us tonight are experiencing some bad weather. In fact, there may be some people who can't even watch tonight because of power outages and so forth. But for all of you who are there, or for all of you who may listen later in the archives, we appreciate your interest in the things that we're talking about on the virtual Bible study. Uh, Josh, you're the one who brought my attention to uh, some things that the Pope had said and and uh, so, sort of update us on that. Sure. So this is an article from uh, AP News, Associated Press News from January 26th. So that's just last week. Right. And, and the title mm-hmm. says, Pope urges parents to never condemn their gay children. The article says, Pope Francis ur- urged parents on Wednesday not to condemn their their children if they are gay in his latest gesture of outreach to the LGBTQ community, which has long been marginalized by the Catholic hierarchy. Francis spoke off the cuff during his weekly Wednesday general audience dedicated to the figure of St. Joseph, the father of Jesus. Francis said he was thinking in particular about parents who are confronted with sad situations in their children's lives, citing parents who have to cope with children who are sick, imprisoned, or who get killed in car accidents. Francis added parents who see that their children have different sexual orientations, how they manage that and accompany their children and not hide behind a condemning attitude. Never condemn a child, he said. Official church teaching calls for gay men and lesbians to be uh, respected and loved, but considers homosexual activity intrinsically disordered. Francis, though, has sought to make the church more welcoming to gays, most famously with his 2013 comment, Who am I to judge? Wow. Dad, look, at, look at that again there, Josh. He, he equated homosexuality with being in a car wreck? He did, yeah. He said uh, parents who are confronted with sad situations in their children's lives uh, who have to cope with children who are sick, in prison, or who get killed in car accidents. And then parents who see that their children have different sexual orientations. That's pretty amazing that the Pope would equate a clearly defined sin in the Scriptures, equate it to to having a child who gets killed in a car wreck. It doesn't make any sense. This Pope is really, really far-left liberal. And uh, it's it's causing some some real consternation among Catholics. But, I mean, you're going to give a... If you're going to unscripturally give a person that much authority, then... What do you expect to happen? Yeah, what do you expect? Something bad's going to happen. So, uh, obviously, the Pope is way off track on that. But what we thought we would do is use his comments about never condemning. We're not going to talk about the sin of homosexuality tonight, although we've talked about it in the past and probably certainly we'll talk about it in the future. But we just wanted to use that, that notion. We should never condemn... Because that's really a popular religious concept in our day. Right. Well, he even, the, the last phrase of the article said in 2013, he said, who am I to judge? Yeah. Uh, and so many people are so caught up on, well, you can't judge. You can't tell anybody else they're wrong. Yeah. 
So we sent out earlier today to our update list. We always remind you, if you're not on our list, get on it by sending us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Just say, add me to the list. Here's the update we sent out earlier today. Number one, what are some positive ways we can encourage people, especially the weak and erring? So what what positive thing might we do? In other words, we think this person is is weak and probably doing things they shouldn't be doing. Are there some positive things that we could do to try and encourage them to be better? Number two, is it ever appropriate to use what some refer to as negative methods, warning, rebuking, chastising, and so forth? Number three, what does the Bible say about dealing with erring and or weak Christians? What does it say about dealing with those who are not growing, those who are not developing as Christians? And then number four, what does the New Testament teach about withdrawing? Uh, and, and we'll get into that near the end of the program. In other words, it's one of the things that we might do to withdraw ourselves. Is one of the things we might do to deal with an erring Christian. And, uh, you know... We'll, we'll talk about it when we get to that, but that's a pretty unpopular concept in, in the world today. So let's start out with what, what might we do in a positive way, uh, to help someone who is not living right? Well, I think the obvious first thing I would say, uh, Josh, is we ought to teach them. Yeah. You know, I think that there's a lot of people in the world who are doing things and don't even realize the sinfulness of their conduct, and they just need instruction from the Word of God. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I, I thought the same thing. Uh, uh, I put down in my notes, Acts 20 and verse 32, it says, Now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Yeah. So there it's just talking about pointing people to the Word of God, and that can encourage you and build yeah. you up. Yeah. So... Uh, we can never discount the importance of getting the, the 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 true message of the Word of God out there. When we've got religious people like the Pope who are muddying the waters so thoroughly, it's not too surprising that the world is full of people who don't even know. For instance, that homosexuality is a sin condemned in the Bible. Right. So we just, uh, I think one of the principal things we need to do is get the message, get the message totally out agree. there. Yeah, what does the Bible say about it? Yeah. I totally agree. Uh, then I would also suggest that we can try to help people who are not living right by setting the right example ourselves. You know, that Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So we just need to be letting our light shine. And uh, I think it takes both. I don't think either one by themselves is probably enough. You know, I've heard people say, I'm just going to live right and let people learn from that. Well, they may see you living right, but in, if they don't get the actual instruction of the word, that won't, that won't be enough. But we've got to be living right. Yeah. Well, there's people that are that are moral people that they're not necessarily uh, trying to live according to the Bible, but they they just have morals, and so they do things that are good. And so you look at them and say they're a good moral person, but until you talk to them about the they, issue and where they, they stand, they could see your morality, but they right. would never know, for yeah, instance, that issue. you need to be baptized for the remission of sin. Right. You could live a, a an excellent example before your non-Christian neighbor. Mm-hmm. I mean, just flawless example, but he would never know what he has to do to be saved just from your example. Your example might, and hopefully will, open that door, but you still got to be ready to, to give them That's the right. instruction. That's right. Yeah. Uh, in regards to example, Paul famously said to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, verse 12, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Be an example of the believers. And and that's what we need to do, because a lot of people are looking to see in us you know, what Christianity is really all about. And so we've got to be setting that right example. Uh, Kyle, any thoughts? On that, no, I think which, yeah, our example does matter. I think we just gotta make sure we're. I don't know. It's some of us don't aren't the best speakers and talkers, but even just planting even the smallest seeds, sprinkling little seeds, we can do go a long way. Besides going for 
past our example. That's right. Yeah. We've got to go past that. Exactly right. Kent in Calhoun, Georgia, said, by clearly, clearly setting forth scriptural teaching that God requires spiritual growth of all Christians, First Peter 2, 1 through 3, we communicate the love God has for his people by doing such, and we also communicate our love and concern for their spiritual welfare by so teaching. We live in a corrupt world. By assisting individual Christians in spiritual growth, we are assisting them in becoming the very best Christians that God would have them to be, First Peter 2, 6 through 10. And so we can really help weak and erring folks by giving them the serious instruction that they need and setting a worthy example before them. Grant in Franklin, Tennessee, says what he calls it instructive discipline. I thought that was an interesting uh, terminology. He says through instructive discipline, this would be done in all of our preaching, teaching and encouraging. Uh, Dwight in Iowa says, I believe a good way to encourage is to give people hope, letting them know there's light at the end of the tunnel. Sometimes we can be an encouragement to people by just being there for them and listening. Sometimes people who are weak and maybe even erring are looking for the right answers, and what we need to do is encourage them with the truth and with the right attitude behind it. We can't always pray for them and with them. I think prayer, you know, I really appreciate Dwight's inclusion of the concept of prayer. Uh, and prayer's a powerful tool. So if we've got a weak brother who's not living right, we want to teach him. We want to set a positive example to him. And then we can pray for him. Uh, and and prayer prayer works. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. James 5, verse 16 says, so we should pray. Yeah, I agree. You know, I was thinking, too, uh, we're talking about positive ways to encourage uh, Barnabas was called the son of encouragement. Uh, in Acts chapter 4. And you know, in Acts chapter 9, uh, in verse, let's see, 27, uh, well, in verse 26, Saul would, had come to Jerusalem. He essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they that were, uh, but they all were afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. Verse 27 says, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And so, uh, Barnabas was uh, an encouragement because he he stepped up to the plate and he he lend a help landed a helping hand and he he got busy yeah and so I think I think that's important you know yeah. uh, you know we were talking about our example and that's good but we need to we need to step up and be busy being an encouragement that way being okay. active good 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 all right we we are right up to uh, almost to the time of break we're gonna go ahead and take our break and when we come back I want to deal with what I've I think is a really important thing and that is the use of what we might refer to as negative methods to try and get the erring person to do the right thing. Uh, that's not that's not very popular these days, but sometimes we just got to tell them how it is. And, and we want to talk about that when we come back. So stick with us. We'll be back on the virtual Bible study right after these uh, right after these comments. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Find the good and praise it. We often take for granted the very things that most deserve our gratitude. Man, wish I had said that. Here's a quick thought. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. John 14, verse 21. Loving God is more than just proclaiming it, it's living it. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, John 14, 15. The person who keeps God's commandments is the one who truly loves him. Will you show your love for him today? Seize the day. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. And we're back on the virtual Bible study. We're talking about how to deal with erring people. Do we just look the other way, never condemn them like the Pope said? Or do we do we react in a proactive way? You know, do we just let them go off and and be in error? Or do we try to do something to bring them to a right relationship with God? That seems like that ought to be an easy question to answer, Josh. I'm just going to let, I'm just, so here's my child, maybe it's my child, uh, who's not doing right, but I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not, certainly not going to condemn them. I'm just going to let them go on. 
how how is that helpful at all? It's not. It's not. I think that that would reflect a lack of faith on my part. That I really don't believe. I personally don't believe what the Bible says, because if I if 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 I really believe what the Bible says, I'm going to do my best to restore them. But if I don't try to restore them, and I and I think that's okay. Then not only does my child have a lack of faith, I have a lack of faith, and that's uh, you know, that's really the root of the problem. Yeah, I, I really think that this is an example of our society and and societal norms affecting uh, people that are Christians to avoid being negative. Because you know, if you look in society now, it's, it's got to all be positive. You, know, you can't say anything negative to anybody. You don't want to offend anybody, and we're so. As a society, we're, we're so careful to not say anything to cause anybody to be offended. And, and, you know, there's people losing their jobs because they offend people and say things. And so I really think this is a societal influence upon Christians. And that, that's a shame uh, because being negative is necessary sometimes. Yeah, exactly right. Um, so let's go to this next question, Josh. Is it ever appropriate to use what some refer to as negative methods uh, of warning, rebuke, or chastisement? I would start out by saying, well, take the example of the Apostle Paul, what he did. Uh, he says uh, that uh, when he was, in Acts chapter 20, when he was talking to the elders at Ephesus, uh, he says, Verse 31, Acts 20, verse 31. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul said that he was constantly in the warning mode. So, you know, if, if someone says, well, we should never say anything negative, we should never engage in in, in warnings or, or you know, the, you're, you're in danger, you might be judged, that sort of thing. Well, the, anybody who says that, would be actually criticizing the methodology of the Apostle Paul. And and I will go further to say they'd also be um, they'd also be indicting the Lord Jesus Christ. It's been pointed out lots of times and it's true it's true observation that the person in the New Testament that said more about hell than any other one Jesus himself. Jesus certainly was warning people uh, about the dangers. Uh, uh, I, I just don't see how we could argue that it's wrong to give warning. Uh, I was trying to look last night. We were reading in our uh, Wednesday night Bible class. We were reading in Colossians. Uh, and Paul said that he... Uh, the warnings that he gave, um, let's see, uh, uh, well, the warning, for instance, in chapter 2, verse 8, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. So he, he, he would frequently warn people about the dangers that existed. And I think we've got to do the same thing. Uh, you know, when when he told Timothy how to do the work of an evangelist in Second uh, Timothy chapter four, uh, verse two, he said, "Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine." So it's been pointed out that the the words reprove and rebuke are sort of negative in connotation. Uh, if if you're rep- reproving or correcting if you're rebuking if you're you know admonishing and chastising somebody for their error people today would take that as a as, as a negative but paul says it's a necessary part of the work yeah i was thinking about titus chapter one uh, of course paul wrote that book as well in, in verse 10 he said there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers especially they of the circumcision whose mouths must be stopped who subvert whole houses teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake in verse 13, he said, this witness is true, wherefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Yeah. I mean, that rebuke them sharply is, is a negative, you know, yeah, a, yeah. a negative encouragement, but it's a negative. Uh, and I really think if we're not doing that, we're not, we're, if, so certainly we want to, we want to try to use positive methods to move people in the right direction, but we're not using all the tools to our uh, that are at our disposal if we don't also use warnings and admonitions uh, back to acts 20 uh paul said 
uh, in Acts 20, verse 26, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. We're not using yeah. all the counsel of God if we don't if we don't repeat the warnings and admonitions that are found in the scriptures. Yeah. Don't you think it, it makes it easier, though, when you know what the end goal is? I mean, the end result is if we don't do anything, uh, this person's going to be lost. They may cause other people to be lost. And so... You know, if you just look and say, well, we don't want to be negative, that may hurt somebody's feelings. But you say, they're going to be lost if I don't step up to the plate here. And, yeah. and I may have to just tell them like it is and yeah. if, if the situation just requires it. Um, I sometimes uh, have used the expression that there are a lot of Christians who are content to let lost people go to hell in a good humor. In other words, yeah. you know, I don't want to make them mad. I'll let them go to hell, but I sure don't want to make them mad. I'd rather make them mad if it kept them from going to hell. I mean, no, I, yeah, that's right. That, I, I, that, that may be a little too blunt, but I believe that's the way it no, is. Right. Um, Kent in Georgia says individual thinking must never be the authority to determine what to do or not to do in either the spiritual growth and or correction of those who are weak or involved in error. No one can ever successfully second guess God and his word, Colossians 3.17. So I think Kent is right there because I think that what some people are doing is that they're trying to second guess God and his word. God in his word tells us to warn and admonish and rebuke and chasten those who are in error. And if we think that we know a better way, we're really indicting God because he's the one who told us to do that. So I think Kent is right, uh, and and he says, "Don't let our thinking become the authority." Yeah, I just th- I just I just don't think that. So I don't think I don't think that will work. I had someone just recently say, "I don't in, in the modern world that just doesn't work." I don't think that works. Well, the Word of God says it works, and so I mean, I, I, I don't think people realize they're pitting themselves against God. When they make comments like that, but negative, the, the negatives are necessary, just absolutely necessary. Uh, Grant in Franklin, Tennessee says, in answer to the question, is it appropriate to use what some, some refer to as negative methods? He said, yes, this would be referred to as corrective discipline and is penalizing in nature. It corrects, penalizes and chastises. Uh, we're going to hold off any comments on the, on the, uh, penalizing uh, the disciplining action, but certainly the corrective and chastising comments that uh, Grant said are absolutely true. Dwight in Iowa says, yes, I believe sometimes depending on the person and the situation, we will need to be forthright and direct with people. Jesus was very pointed in calling people out, Matthew 23, 13 through 29. Uh, That's that passage where he over and over again called the scribes and Pharisees hypocrites. Uh, also in Acts 8, we have the example of Simon being called out by Peter for the sin that was in his heart. We also have in Acts 2 where, Paul, uh, where Peter called the house of Israel on the carpet telling them they had killed Jesus. And with that, and with that we see that Simon repented and, uh, and as well as the great multitude who murdered Jesus, all because one man stood up and told them the hurtful truth. Uh, so he, he uses some examples of, of that sort of negativity. You know, Jesus, uh, someone recently said, well, it was different back then. People would take it back then. People that, people in our world, they won't take it. Uh, I'm not, I don't really think that's, I, the people in Jesus' day didn't take it too well. I, I don't think, I don't think they took it too well when they were nailing him to the cross for his negative preaching. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, some some listened and responded, but but some did not. The majority did, the majority not. did not. Yeah, exactly right. And, and we just have to accept that reality. We 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 cannot neglect to do what the scripture tells us to do in regards to issuing the the necessary warnings. All right. So, question one: There's there's positive things to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, teach, set a good example, pray for those who are in error. But we got to also do the warning and the the rebuking and the uh, uh, the chastening. We got to, you know, we we've got to say the hard things that have got to be said sometimes. Uh, and all of us, I think, I think if people were honest, they would realize that that does have, uh, uh, does does bring forth 
the desired result many times, you know, with our own kids, when, when our kids are misbehaving, we can try to positively encourage them to do something, do, do the right thing. But very often, in order to get them to do the right thing, we, we have to do some, you know, harsher things and sometimes spiritually the same way. Right. Totally agree. All right. Kyle, anything on that? Yeah, I think, uh, which we've probably mentioned it, but, you know, Paul, when he withstood Peter to the face, I don't know sure if he was like, hey, Paul, you need to, you know, could you please stop doing this? You know, I really think you need to, you know, don't need to be seen separating yourselves from these, you know, as that. Paul probably was very, very forthright. He yeah. said, Paul, yeah. he's, Peter, yeah. you cannot do this. You, this right. cannot be. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it needs to be firm, concise, and I doubt he was very gentle necessarily with Peter in that instance, so. Uh, uh, in a conversation I just recently had with someone about these very th- things, I pointed out that back in the first half of the 20th century, Churches of Christ were the, were rated as the fastest growing religious organization in, in America. Well, if you think back to that, in that era, the preaching of that era was what we often refer to as hellfire and damnation kind of preaching. We've gotten away from that. And we've, we've stopped growing in many instances because our teaching has just become watered down. Uh, and, and I actually think that if, if we don't use the full impact of the scriptures, we're sort of selling our birthright. The denominational world are all about feel good, positive preaching. And if we're just going to imitate them, we have, we have nothing to offer different from what they're offering. But when we use the whole impact of the scriptures, uh, we're doing the right thing. Yeah. Got a couple of comments in the chat room. Uh, Razor Hog said, Paul in Second Timothy 4, verses 1 through 4, charged Timothy to reprove, rebuke, and exhort as he preached the word. Exactly. Two-thirds of this is what many consider negative. Can we follow these inst- Can we follow these instructions today? Maybe we can follow these instructions today. Uh, the same is seen in God's commission to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1. Uh, so thank you for that. Dwight and Michelle I uh, said to admonish one means to warn them. Warning someone is for the sake of their well-being. Yeah, yeah which, is, which know, is right. So if if uh, you know if you if if your one of your little girls Josh was wandering out into a busy highway, you went, now honey come yeah. back now you yeah. need to you need to think about what you're doing and that probably won't be good for you would snatch them up yeah. you you would tackle them and yeah. drag them off the road if you had to to save absolutely. them yeah absolutely and so. I mean, it just it just makes sense, and I just and it really bothers me that a lot of people, including a lot of our own brethren these days, are not seeing the value of and the value and the necessity of negative teaching. All right, we're going to grab a break. When we come back from this, we want to talk about some specific Bible instructions about dealing with erring and weak brethren or brethren who are not growing and maturing in Christ. Does it say never condemn them, just leave them alone, or does it say something else? We'll look to that when we get back from this break. Stay with us. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. There's no doubt that one of the conditions of our own forgiveness by God is that we forgive others who sin against us. Jesus said, quote, If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Matthew six fourteen and 15. He also taught us that we should extend this forgiveness again and again. Notice, quote, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Matthew 18, verses 21 and 22. The question arises, though, about a situation where an individual is not interested in our forgiveness. They do not ask to be forgiven and may, in fact, continue the offending act against us. What should our response be in such a situation? Jesus gave valuable information about dealing with this problem in Luke 17, verses 3 and 4. Quote, Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. The teaching here clearly indicates that the forgiveness must be sought before it can be granted. We must be ready to forgive, willing to forgive, even anxious to forgive. But until the offender seeks our forgiveness, there's no way that forgiveness can be accomplished. 
A moment of reflection will remind us that this is exactly the pattern that God has established for us to be forgiven by Him. He is continually ready to forgive us, but we must repent and seek His forgiveness before we can receive it. It's worth noting that the apostles realized the difficulty of forgiving a brother who continues to commit the same offense over and over. After hearing Jesus' command in this matter, quote, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith, Luke 17, verse 5. It takes a strong faith to fulfill the Lord's will concerning forgiveness. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hello, I'm Nick Law from Jennings, Florida. I love to listen to the virtual Bible study and hear God's word taught every Thursday night. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And we're back on the virtual Bible study. We're reminding you that the virtual Bible study is brought to you each Thursday night by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Check out the, the some information about the College View Church at our website, collegeview.com, collegeview.com. We want, to, we want to tell everybody who is in the Middle Tennessee area within a driving distance, we want to tell everybody about a special event that we're going to be having this Saturday and Sunday. Stephen Trammell from Cumming, Georgia, will be here to bring bring us five lessons in less than 24 hours. So it's going to be a pretty intense weekend, Josh. Uh, we're going to start on Saturday. Lord willing, we'll start Saturday afternoon at 4 o'clock. There'll be one session at 4 o'clock and another at 7 o'clock on Saturday. Then we'll meet at our regular times on Sunday morning, 9.30 and 10.30, and Stephen Trammell will be bringing us a lesson in both of those hours and then our evening service which typically is at six uh, on sunday evening we'll move that up to 2 30 on sunday evening uh, sunday afternoon so four and seven on saturday 9 30 10 30 and 2 30 in the afternoon on sunday five lessons in less than 24 hours it will be it will be a whirlwind but it will be a, a, a valuable time of Bible study. We want to encourage all who are in the Middle Tennessee area, if you can come at all, please come and join us for this special, we're calling it our midwinter meeting, uh, and, and we'd love to have you come. Um, we're talking tonight on the virtual Bible study about how to deal with the airing. How should we treat the airing? And maybe something that we should have started out with first, Josh, is to talk about what the Bible tells us to do with airing brethren. Actually, you know, we are commanded to act. We So we've talked about positive and negative things we might do, but... Bottom line is we have got to take some action. Uh, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul said, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burden, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Notice that that's not worded as a suggestion, but rather as a command. Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. And so I really don't have an option. I've got a brother here, who, uh, an erring brother, a Christian who's fallen away, a Christian who's involved in sin, and I know of it. I've, I, I, it's not a, ah, uh, well, I decide not. I, I, don't, I just don't think I'm going to do anything. If I decide not to do anything, then I have become disobedient because that commands me to do something about it. Yeah. I put down in my notes First Thessalonians 5 and verse 14. It's interesting. It's kind of a generic statement, but Paul exhorted the brethren there. He said, now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. So he just kind of generically said support the weak. He didn't yeah. go into specifics, but yeah. I think that's worded as a commandment, too. He exhorted them to exactly support the weak. Exactly right. Exactly right. So, you know, I don't think someone, uh, and I'm afraid too many Christians do this, I'm going to leave. I, I I know that this this person is is involved in in sinful things. They are they are an erring brother, but I'm going to leave it up to the preacher to talk to him. I'm going to leave it up to the elders to talk to him. I'm going to leave it up to you know. There's some of the, some of the folks in the congregation are just really strong Christians, and and they always sort of take those kind of things, take the bull by the horns, so to speak. And I, I so I'm just going to leave that up to them. I'm convinced a lot of Christians think that way, and they're they're making a big mistake that they very well could be accountable for. If I'm aware of a brother or sister in error, and I don't do anything about that, then I'm not obeying the Scripture. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've got a person in danger. It's like seeing a person in danger, yeah. looking at them, recognize it, and say, well, I'll let, hopefully somebody else will come along and 
and help them out while they're while they're drowning or whatever yeah, the case yeah, is. We yeah. we wouldn't do that in physical right. things, but in spiritual things, I think you're right. Exactly right. Now the other part of that question, I said, what what if it's maybe not that they are erring, but maybe they're just not maturing. You know, they're just sort of stuck in a rut. They're languishing spiritually. They're they're not they're not growing or maturing. And if, in Hebrews chapter five, the Hebrew writer addressed those kinds of people. But I want you to notice the kind of strong terminology that he used in Hebrews five, beginning verse 12. For when the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God and become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, but for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of the use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I tell you, those are pretty strong words. And I think a lot of people today would say, oh man, that's just way too harsh. The Hebrew writer was off, was off the mark there by saying such hard words. No, he, he was, he was giving them the message they needed to hear by inspiration. They needed to be provoked. In other words, it's the, it's long past time when you ought to be able to teach others and yet you need to be taught again the very basic principles. And, and he was rebuking them for not growing. Yeah, I agree. You know, I was thinking on this question later on in Hebrews 10. We talk about verse 25 a lot about not forsaking the assembly. Verse 24 says, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. And then it talks about not forsaking the assembly. You know, one of the things that's that's pretty simple is encourage somebody to, to be here, be here at the Bible studies, be here at the worship services, because that's going to help promote you to, to grow. Uh, you know, and studying, diving into the word. And so if, if people are absent, they're going to struggle to grow. And so and and again, we might we can do that sort of thing, maybe in, in, sort of in an encouraging, positive mm-hmm. way. But sometimes we just need to get, yeah, hey, you get very here. blunt. Yeah. yeah where you been? What are you doing? You, right. know? you know, I actually think that as preachers, Josh, we have an advantage because we hit those themes a lot in our public preaching and teaching. Mm-hmm. And so we we get we sort of have a a. a uh, an open channel to be able to to lay those things down, and hopefully the people who need to hear it will hear it. If you're not a public teacher or preacher, then I think that probably puts a little bit bigger burden on you, you know, uh, because you're going to have to say so directly. You're not going right. to be able to, to say it in a in a, a sermon or something. Yeah, in some in some ways, it's it's almost easier to be able yeah. To, yeah. to preach it that way. Yeah, and, and rather than talk to somebody individually. Yeah, Kent says, <clears throat> while the times in which we live are different from that of the first century, the basic spiritual needs and problems that Christians face remain the same. Hebrews five twelve through 14, which I just read, gives tremendous instruction on how to assist Christians in the local church, uh, New Testament church in overcoming weaknesses and being grounded in God's truth. Uh, Grant says, how do we treat erring or weak Christians? Uh, he, he mentions uh, Acts twenty thirty five. Paul says, in everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Romans 14, 1. Now accept the one who is weak in the faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Um, First Corinthians eight. I'm going to go just hit his highlighted uh, phrases here in these passages. First Corinthians eight seven through nine. Uh, don't become a stumbling block to the weak. First Thessalonians five fourteen. You just read. Help the weak. Hebrews twelve twelve. Strengthen the hands that are weak. Uh, and so uh, we very much have a duty to those who are. Erring and weak, and we, we we need to step up and help them. Grant says, for those who are not growing and developing, he references the same passage, Hebrews five, twelve through fourteen, uh, which we read just a minute ago. And Dwight in Iowa says, Romans fifteen one says that the strong are to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. First Timothy five twenty, Paul says those who continue in sin are to be rebuked in the presence of all, so that the rest will be fearful of sinning. Uh, Hebrews five twelve through 14, the writer there tells them they should be teachers, yet they need to be taught the elementary things again. It seems like shaming on those Christians, but because of love for them, it needed to be said and done. Uh, what about that word shaming that Dwight uses? I, uh, you think that that is uh, um, maybe a, a fitting description? 
Yeah, I, I, it's kind of interesting. I don't know. Yeah. I, we don't typically use yeah, that no. word, but no. I do think there in Hebrews five twelve that he was he was putting some shame yeah. on them. You well, should, they should be, have been ashamed. Yeah, they should have been yeah. ashamed for the, the time has passed. You ought to be teachers yourself, and you need to be taught again. Yeah, you're at the level of a baby when you should be at a level. You yeah, know, you, a, you 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 still need milk. You can't right. take the strong meat of the word. So that's interesting. Kind of a good word there mm-hmm. uh, that Dwight put on us. Uh, so. Again, we maybe should have started with with that observation that we have a duty to these people. So there's positive and negative things we can do, and we have a duty to do them. And if we're not dealing with Aaron, so go back to our introductory uh, comments, uh, Josh, about what the Pope said. Don't ever condemn anybody. Don't ever condemn. If you've got a child who's a homosexual, don't ever condemn anybody, uh, it, because that's the equivalent of. Maybe losing a child in a car wreck. It's so, so crazy what he said. But the Pope said, don't ever condemn. The Word of God says we have to yeah. con- condemn sin. Yeah, I like uh, Dwight and Michelle. Uh, there's a comment in the chat room. They said to let them alone in their sins is to really condone their sin. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Yeah. yeah. And so for the Pope to say, oh, don't don't say anything to them. Well, you're telling them it's okay. Yeah. If you're not going to point out what they're doing is wrong. Yeah. Any thoughts, Kyle? No, that's covered it. All right. All right. We, we, we're going to introduce our last subject and then we'll, we'll take a break, take our last break. But we ask, what does the New Testament teach about withdrawing? And we ask, are we commanded to do this? Who should be thus treated? What does this actually involve by the way of our congregational and personal actions? And why would we ever do this? And so we're going to talk about withdrawing when we come back uh, from this break. Uh, stay with us. We'll be right back on the Virtual Bible Study. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The Virtual Bible Study continues after this announcement. We're tracking the trends on the Virtual Bible Study. Any level of drinking can lead to loss of healthy life, the World Heart Federation has said, as it sought to dispel the idea that a daily glass of wine might be good for you. In a new policy briefing, the organization said it wanted to, quote, challenge the widespread notion, unquote, that drinking moderate amounts of alcohol can decrease the risk of heart disease and called for urgent action to tackle the global rise in deaths caused by drinking. Quote, these claims are at best misinformed and at worst an attempt by the alcohol industry to mislead the public about the danger of their product. According to the new briefing, more than 2.4 million people died worldwide because of alcohol in 2019. This is equivalent to 4.3% of all deaths globally and 12.6% of deaths in men ages 15 through 49. Alcohol is a, quote, psychoactive and harmful substance that can cause significant damage to the human body, unquote. Quote, the evidence is clear. Any level of alcohol consumption can lead to loss of healthy life. Studies have shown that even small amounts of alcohol can increase a person's risk of cardiovascular disease, including coronary disease, stroke, heart failure, hypertensive heart disease, cardiomyopathy, atrial fibrillation, and aneurysm. Quote, to date, no reliable correlation has been found between moderate alcohol consumption and a lower risk of heart disease. That information is via the Irish Examiner. The Word of God says in Proverbs 23, beginning verse 31, Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. My name is Rick Harris, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. I hope you'll join me and many others in this weekly Internet Bible study group. Be sure to listen every Thursday night. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The virtual Bible study. Take it away, guys. And we're back on the virtual Bible study for Thursday, February the 3rd. 2022, and we're going to the top of the hour. We're talking about how to deal with those who are in sin, those who are erring. And we started out by observing that the Pope said, don't, don't say anything, don't condemn them. But we believe the scriptures tell us we must. We've got on the phone with us Jeanette from Vermont. Jeanette, you said you had a, maybe a couple of verses to add to these thoughts. Have we got you, Jeanette? Maybe not. Let's see here. You're talking about um, how some you have to do it by uh, persuading them and some you have to uh, pull them out of the fire. Well, uh, 22 and 23 says that. Give give us that reference again, Jeanette. Jude 22 and 23. Okay, yeah. Very good. Uh, Read that. I don't know that we got you on the air for the very first part of that. Read that for us again. 
and of some have compassion making a difference, and others say with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Yeah, I've always thought that that verse suggested that it will require our judgment as to the best way to approach each individual, but it very definitely says sometimes we got to be really strict and harsh in dealing with right. Exactly. I think one uh, newer translation says snatching them out of the fire. You know, if my house was on fire and you and you came in there, I wouldn't expect you to treat me with kid gloves. I'd expect you to jerk me out of there with all the force that you could that you could muster to save me from the fire. That's right. Yeah, that's that's really good verse. Thanks for calling in and and adding that into this discussion. Okay. All right. You have a good evening. You too. Bye bye. Bye bye. Okay, I'm not. I'm not good on these. I'm not good on these buttons here, uh, Josh. So, so we got we we got it anyway. Uh, so what about this business? Ultimately, that we would withdraw ourselves from someone. You know, I think an important point to make, and we've tried to make this before in the virtual Bible study, but the biblical terminology is withdraw yourselves. Very often, people have come to use the expression withdrawing fellowship. New Testament, every, that phrase is never found in the New Testament. What we do is we withdraw ourselves. No, we, we distance ourselves. We withdraw our social interaction from people who are in error and who will not repent. Um, and so I, I ask, is this a command? Uh, are, are we commanded to do this? Uh, and, and very clearly we are. Second Thessalonians 3 verse 6, we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. Uh, and so uh, very definitely we're commanded that and if a brother or sister who's in sin uh, will not repent, then we are to we are to withdraw ourselves, distance ourselves socially from them, in order to. I, I clearly the the intent of that would be to alert them to how serious their soul's situation is. Yeah, uh, in First Timothy six and verse five, Paul wrote to Timothy, and so he's talking to him as individual. He said, first disputings of men are corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such withdraw thyself. Yeah. And so, you know, that's a good example to, to Timothy. There's there's some people who are doing some things that you need to individually withdraw from. Yeah. Paul said in First Corinthians five, verse nine, I wrote to you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners, extortioners or with idolaters, for then you must needs go out of the world. But now I've written unto you not to keep company. If any man that's called a brother be a fornicator or a covetous or a man or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, with such a one, no, not to eat. And so Paul very, very clearly is teaching there that we that we are commanded to to draw back from such a person, to withdraw ourselves from such a person. And clearly the indication of those verses is that what we're, what we're withdrawing is our social interaction. So let's say it's you and me, Josh, and, and, uh, you know, we've always enjoyed, you know, going out to eat together, you know, and, uh, uh, maybe go fishing together, you know, uh, engage in other recreational activities. But I've decided, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go to church anymore. I, I, I've, maybe I've gotten involved in some sinful situations and I, I've just kind of given up my faith. But I still want to go out to eat with you. I still want us to have the good times, the social fun that we have had, uh, historically. And these passages are saying your response to me says, no, yeah. as long as you're going to continue on that course, things can't be like they used to be. Right. Yeah, because you're in you're in serious danger, and, and yeah. I've got to do that in order to show you how bad how bad a situation you're in. Exactly right. So uh, we ask, you know, who should be thus treated, and and I think the answer to that is the, the one who sins and will not repent, because all of us are going to sin from time to time. Uh, and we're not withdrawing from everybody just the instant that they sin. But if we if we sin and continue in that sin and will not repent, then this this is sort of an escalation of the effort to restore such one. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus taught uh, sort of how this would progress. 
Matthew 18, verse 15, If thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone, that if he hears thee, thou hast gained thy brother. So there again goes that point we were making earlier. I've got to, I've got to take action. So he sinned. I've got to take action. I go to him one-on-one. If he will not hear thee, Jesus goes on, he says, take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. And so Jesus suggested we got to we got to take action. I'm going to do it individually. Uh, I'm going to sort of step it up. And ultimately, it, it will have to be taken before the, the entire church. And if he won't repent, then we withdraw ourselves. Yeah, yeah, that's important because it is a process. You know how, how Jesus laid it out there. I think some people, when they talk about this, they just think, "Well, you're just you're just cutting people off the very first time." But there's a, there's a process to it. I mean, you, yeah. you, this is a last ditch effort to get them to recognize where they're where they're at. Yeah. Um. So uh, I ask as as a follow up to that, I ask. Who should be thus treated? That, that, that is the, the one who sins and won't repent after after initial efforts to restore them have all failed. It would lead to this action. Then I ask, what does this actually involve by way of congregational and personal actions? Well, first of all, uh, the, the man has to be pointed out. Uh, uh, 2 Thessalonians 3.14, if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man. And have no company with him. So he has to be noted or observed. He has to be pointed out. Romans sixteen seventeen. I beseech you, brethren, mark them that cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have received and avoid them. So note that man or mark him. He has to be identified. That's not, that's not a pleasant thing to do, but it's a necessary part. His sin has to be noted. He, he has to be pointed out. Uh, uh, this is to be a public action. It's done when the church comes together. First Corinthians five, verse four, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together and my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Again, we, you know, we'd like to sort of sweep this under the rug. Paul says, do it openly in the public assembly. Take this action. Uh, and, and and then when we have, as we said, withdrawn ourselves, notice some of the strong words that that suggest the the sort of the extent of this. Romans sixteen seventeen, I beseech you, brethren, mark them that cause divisions, offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have heard, and avoid them. First uh, Corinthians five verse eleven, not to keep company with with such a one, no, not to eat. Uh, Titus 3.10, reject such a one. Second John 9 and 10 says, neither bid him God speed. But finally, one important aspect of it is, Second Thessalonians 3.15 says, yet count him not as a brother, but uh, count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. In other words, we're not saying we're, we, we hate you and we never want to see you again. Uh, we despise you and, and, and don't ever want to have anything to, to do with you. No. The reason that we do it is because we, we, we love him as a brother and we want him restored. Yeah. couple couple uh, comments in the chat room. Uh, Razor Hog, I, I guess this goes back to the Jude verses. He said, we see the Jude verses and application as Paul dealt with Peter's hypocrisy in Galatians 2 and how Aquila and Priscilla handled the situation with Apollos. So there's a good example. They, 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 they took him aside, him aside and, and taught him the way of the truth right. more perfectly. Right. Uh, but... Paul withstood Peter to the face right. before That's them right. all, he said. Yeah. And then uh, Dwight Michelle said, uh, I've been asked by Christians in the past, does withdrawing really work? It doesn't really matter what I think, he said. The word tells us to do this. Yeah. And Brian in California said that's a good point. I, I, I want to, I, I appreciate Dwight bringing that up because I think that's sort of something that needs to be emphasized because I've heard so many times people say, oh, that never works. That That won't work. That doesn't. Well, again, if you're so, if you're so bold as to say that, you're actually challenging the wisdom of God because the Word of God tells us to do that. And if you if you're saying I'm not going to do it because it don't ever work, then you're saying God doesn't know what He's talking about. Yeah, He's right. Well, God said to do it, so 
you know, it doesn't whatever whatever your observation may have been. I mean, God said to do it, and uh, and God's plan is going to work. I mean, so if that person chooses to not repent and turn around and do right, then they've made that decision to do that. But we did what we were supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, the last part of the question that I ask is, why would we do this? Well, first of all, uh, I, you know, if for no other reason why we would do such a thing is we do it to obey God. We just read the verses that command us to do this. And so if there wasn't any other consideration involved at all, we do this because God said so. You know, and that's enough. Yeah. But we also are doing it for the sake of the lost brother we're trying to restore this one he, he has alienated himself with god through sins he won't repent of and if he stays in that state he's going to be lost eternally and so we would do this as i, I like to refer to it as my terminology but i like to refer to it as the last ditch effort mm-hmm. you know we've tried everything else and nothing has worked in trying to restore him uh, we've tried to set positive examples before him. We, we've tried to teach him positively. We've used negative warnings and admonitions. None of this has worked. And so, as a last ditch effort, we're gonna we're gonna d- take this very drastic step of withdrawing ourselves, separating from our social company with this individual, to alert him to just how serious his condition is. So we do it to obey God. We do it for the lost brother. But I think that the scriptures uh, suggest at least a third reason we do it, and that's for the sake of the of the church. Yeah. Uh, in First Corinthians five, when Paul was telling the Corinthians to do this, First Corinthians five verses six and seven, he says, "Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us." Paul said that that sinning brother who was being tolerated in the church at Corinth was like a leaven and that would spread throughout the whole church. And so we, we, we discipline unruly Christians for their sake, but also for the church's sake so that that, so, so that others will learn this cannot be tolerated. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, one of the things that COVID has taught us, Greg, is about quarantining and separating out, you know, with illness and stuff and, and, you know, you think about that as far as a little leaven that gets into the church, it's got to be separated out and, and taken out so that it doesn't ruin the whole group. And, and that's part of what Paul talked about there that you pointed out. Exactly right. Kent uh, uh, says, we're commanded to do this. That's what, why we do it. We must withdraw ourselves from all unfaithful brethren who will not repent of the practice of sin. Paul refers to such as walking disorderly. That is out of step with the truth of God. Such would apply to those involved in the practice of moral sin, like the man in 1 Corinthians 5. Also to those who are teaching and practicing false doctrine, Second John 9 through 11, Colossians 3.17, and also those who cause trouble in the local church, Titus 3.10 and 3 John verses 8 through 11. He says, withdrawing ourselves from unfaithful brethren is not excommunication. Such involves admonish them to repent and return to a condition of faithfulness, but it also necessitates noting such individuals and not keeping company with them, which would exclude eating with them and involving ourselves in social activities with them. Such does not mean that we withhold kindness from them. We're to remember that they are brethren, Second Thessalonians 3, verses 14 and 15. The reason for engaging such activity is to demonstrate our love and respect for God and his word, and in addition to demonstrate a love and respect for those with whom we withdraw, to attempt to persuade them to repent and be restored to a fellowship of Christ. If brethren refuse to turn to Christ, withdrawing ourselves from them is a measure of protection for the local church in not being overtaken by sin, 1 Corinthians 5, 7 through 8. Uh, so we're, uh, we are commanded to do this when... Uh, uh, Grant says, uh, when people are involved in sin, he references the passage we read earlier from Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17, where Jesus taught sort of an escalating process. We do it toward those who are engaged in immorality and unrighteousness, according to First Corinthians 5, beginning verse 1, to those who walk disorderly, Second Thessalonians 3, beginning verse 6, to factious men who cause division, Romans 16, verses 17 and 18. Uh, 
so what does this actually involve? Grant says not to associate with them, not even to eat with them. This does not mean that we don't take every opportunity to discuss with them what their spiritual condition is in an attempt to bring them back to the Lord. We should do this, he says, to keep the church pure, 1 Corinthians 5, verses 5 through 13, to save the guilty party, 1 Corinthians 5, 5, to serve as a warning to other church members, Acts 5, verses 1 through 11. That's kind of interesting. That's the case of Ananias and yeah. Sapphira, 1 Timothy 5, verse 20 also, and to lead others to Christ. And finally, Dwight says, we are com- commanded to withdraw ourselves from unrepentant brethren. We have scripture, 1 Corinthians 5, 5 through 11, and 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 15, that tells us this instruction. The one in error who is unwilling to repent needs to be withdrawn from. The one who repents has been forgiven. When one in a local church fails to repent and they become withdrawn from, the whole church, family and friends uh, in the church need to withdraw or need to follow the God-given instructions to not associate with them, not even to eat with them. We are, though, to admonish and warn them as a brother. Do not treat them as an enemy. We do this for three reasons. First, it is to win them back from Satan. Secondly, it is to cause the rest to have fear, the rest of the church to have fear of sinning, lest the same condemnation comes upon them. And third, to keep the church blameless. So I think all of our respondents are closely on the same page there, and I think that is the correct conclusion. So we're out of time, Josh. Pope says, don't ever condemn anybody, not God, even your own child. God says differently. And God right. definitely says differently. So our, our, our subject tonight, I think, is an important one because the religious world is way off on how we're supposed to treat the erring. The Word of God is pretty clear on it. Right. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate, Appreciate you. it. Appreciate your help tonight. Uh, Kyle, any final thoughts? Yeah. I think all this is towards, uh, you know, making sure that they're, that they will go to heaven. We want everyone that we come into contact with to go to heaven. We have to make sure that we're doing it in a spirit of, you know, a spirit of that. Yeah. We want them to be saved. And we're not doing it out of absolutely. hate or vengefulness. Yeah. We're doing it out of love. I think that's the thing a lot of people don't realize. It is a manifestation of love. I think you're exactly right. All right, that's our virtual Bible study for tonight. We thank everybody for listening and participating. The Lord willing, there'll be another virtual Bible study next uh, Thursday night, and we hope that you'll make it a regular appointment to be with us on Thursday nights for the virtual Bible study. Until that time, read and study your Bible. Live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Lord willing, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.